Mindfulness mode. 87. Compulsion can become a form of anxiety, like doing things just to do them. Reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness on Mindfulness Mode with me, your host, Bruce Langford. On Mindfulness Mode, we talk about how people from all walks of life have discovered mindfulness and how it's impacted their lives to help them become more calm, focused, and happy. Hey, Mindful Tribe, thanks for joining us. As appreciation for listening, I have a meditation infographic for you called Calm Your Busy Mind. This download focuses on breathing, exercise, and mantras. Get your copy at mindfulnessmode.com slash calm, C-A-L-M. You're listening to Mindfulness Weekends with Bruce Langford, and today we're talking about anxiety and mindfulness. Anxiety is something that can just bring you down. It can bring down a family. It can just completely pull your life to a halt. And when I think about anxiety, I think about a time when I was about eight years old and I I lived on the farm with my family and I... I noticed that my mom was pretty unhappy. She cried a lot. She seemed upset. I didn't know why. I was just a kid. But then she she got this all over her hands. It was psoriasis. And it was at first just little patches. And then it started to be more and more of her hands and then kind of up her wrists. And it was red and it was raw and it was just very, very painful. And it was so difficult for her to do anything. Like she couldn't do very much that involved the use of her hands. She couldn't really do dishes, although she tried to. She'd put on rubber gloves and she'd try to do dishes. And it was so incredibly uncomfortable. I know that a lot of times she would wear cotton gloves if she you know, went out, went to the grocery store, someplace like that, just to try to protect the raw scab from just whatever would rub against her hands. And it was a really hard time because we all knew how much pain she was in and how much suffering she was going through. And yet it seemed like there had to be some kind of reason because I know she went to her doctor over and over and the doctor really didn't know what to do. And she tried different creams and nothing seemed to Nothing seemed to really help. And yet, you know, there was always this overriding uh, thing where I noticed how unhappy she was. She was just, just, I mean, it was like a, a desperation. It was like unhappiness just shrouded her entire life and her personality. And, and so it was really, it was a tough time. And then... You know what? I think, and this is just my memory as a kid, I think she just thought, you know, I'm just going to get focused on doing things that I like to do. And she would start to knit and she would do, you know, crafts and things like that. And she started to focus more on those kinds of things. And then the psoriasis gradually started to go away. Now, I don't know, of course, if that was a coincidence, thinking back, you know, I was just a a child. But, you know, I sometimes wonder if it was the mindfulness of working on those crafts and getting focused on something else that really helped her to move forward and that psoriasis just eventually left. 
And I know that she had a lot of stress and worries and she was not a real happy person. Today, I've got Jeff Agostinelli here and we're going to be talking about mindfulness and anxiety. And he really has a lot of great insight into this and he's just written a book about anxiety. So let's shift directly to Jeff and I hope you enjoy the episode and have a great weekend. So I've got Jeff Agostinelli here, and it's great having you here, Jeff. How are you doing? I'm awesome. How are you? <laughs> I'm great. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm glad that I'm not filled with anxiety today, but we are talking <laughs> about anxiety, and it's a good thing to talk about when you're not filled with anxiety, right, Jeff? Yes, Bruce, indeed. <laughs> I mean, I have had my moments, I'll admit that. You know, there have been times when I've had tons of anxiety. I mean, well, for one thing, I mean, I I went through a divorce. I went through a separation and divorce, and that, there was a lot of anxiety then, I can tell you. Mm. That's not a good thing. But boy, it's a good thing to think about how to deal with anxiety. And when you know some of the tricks and some of the tools, then I think you're more relaxed all the time. Don't you think so? Absolutely. Yes. I tell you what, it's one of those things though, that like I kind of stumbled upon it. Like I didn't even really know that I was anxious. And I think a lot of us are just so used to being anxious that we don't notice we are until something happens. Totally. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. Yeah, I think so. And I think sometimes there's tension in my body, which is there because of anxiety. And then I don't even realize it's there until I start to relax. And then maybe I'm meditating and I'm like, hey, what's what's that tension in my neck or that tension in my forehead, you know, and then I can kind of systematically relax in that area of my body. But yeah, do you feel those kinds of tensions sometimes, Jeff? Yeah, a little bit. It's funny. Anxiety shows up a lot. And it's one of those things that I, as I mentioned, I realized as something I didn't know that I was anxious. And it was after, remember in our last conversation, I talked about Vipassana. Yes. And I remember after meditating in Vipassana, they teach you, you know, to do an hour of meditation in the morning and an hour in the evening. So the good student that I am, I I practiced for a number of years and I didn't realize that I was self-medicating. Before meditation, I would, you know, I was a smoker, Uh even though I was a division one lacrosse player and an athlete, I still smoked. They were, I made them okay because they were organic tobacco cigarettes. Okay. (laughs) Somehow in my consciousness, I made that okay. But even the, the social drink, uh, wine, you know, red wine, beer Mm -hmm. was acceptable to me. But when I started doing meditation and, and a lot of mindfulness, I stopped doing those things. And I noticed a lot of things came on. Like I was I noticed I was anxious when the sun started to go down, which is very strange. There was like this odd kind of like sense of loneliness, right? Like I wasn't sure why. Um, And it was just a very odd thing. And then I I realized that I was pretty reactive, you know, without Mm -hmm. those things, that I had a very short fuse where I wanted to operate at a very fast pace (laughs) where Mm -hmm. most people were like, slow it down, dude. (laughs) And uh, so it, it became a pretty interesting conversation. Yeah, well, we had a great talk on episode 49 when you were on Mindfulness Mode before. And yeah, you really benefited from being at that retreat, didn't you? Oh my God, huge. It was it was literally the biggest turning point, one of the biggest turning points in my life. And did you ever go back to another one? Yeah, I did a second one. Yeah, so you I did one. Totally I was going to do one every year, mm-hmm. um, but then, you know, kids and things happen. Yeah. 
and trying to carve out 10 days every year and do vacation and, and other things. It was just a little bit more than I was willing to, I guess you could say, commit to at that point. But I mean, I'm still an avid meditator and, uh, you know, they have smaller Vipassanas and you can do like weekend retreats right after you've done the 10 days. So, I mean, I know for sure I'll go back at some point. Mm-hmm. So what's your meditation look like these days? Is it once a day? Is it twice a day? What sort of form does it take on? Well, I mean, it's like, it's definitely every morning. The first thing I do, like clockwork, my alarm goes off somewhere between five and five thirty-three, mm-hmm. um, because I like numbers. So I do usually if I can do double digits like that, I can. So <laughs> I get up, I come downstairs, I sit for twenty minutes. But I'll start off with a reading, a course in miracles. So I do a lesson a day of a course in miracles, okay. and then I'll sit for twenty minutes with the, the lesson of the day in top of mind, and I'll practice what they teach in vipassana, which is just to you know, pay attention to your breath and then to do a form of scanning the body from head to toe. Right. So there's a, a body awareness and a mindfulness of, of coming into the present moment that happens when we do that practice. And I'll do that definitely for 20 minutes in the morning and most evenings, 20 minutes at night. And if I can work it in during the day, I like to do, um, Brendan Burchard, he's got a, a podcast as well. I believe it's called, uh, I wish I remember what it was called. Oh, the charged life. Yes. At one point he had a um, a meditation, a guided meditation. It was called the release technique, I believe. I remember that. Yeah, it's so good. What I did, it's it's on SoundCloud, it's on iTunes, it's all over. And it's a a 20-minute meditation. And I choose to remember the name of the musician who has the music that plays in the background, but that's a fantastic uh, one that I have on my iPhone that I play during the day. If I ever start to feel very fatigued, um, mm-hmm. I'll just sit down. I'll close my eyes. I'm kind of traditional when it comes to meditation. I have my little meditation pillow and, and stand yeah. over here at my office that I'll just, you know, put my my big earphones on and uh, sit down and, and do it that way. But you know, you can do it anywhere, sitting in a chair. Just don't lay in your bed and meditate. No, that doesn't work. No, it's the worst yeah. ever. <laughs> yeah, it totally is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I meditate for 20 minutes every morning, first thing, just like you do first thing. And oh, nice. uh, I I used to do guided meditations a lot. And then I, I just got to the point where I didn't want to do guided ones anymore. I just wanted to do my own where I'm just, you know, thinking certain mantras and things like that. And a lot of times, though, I put on the Calm app, which has background sounds. And so all it is, is it's uh, like the sounds of the ocean is the one that I usually use. And it's just, it's got a few seagulls. It's got a little bit of, you know, just hear the waves a little bit. And for some reason, I just really, really like that. And it just keeps me focused. Nice. So, I'll have to check that out. You said it's calm, yeah? Yeah, yeah, it is. And so Excellent. in that one, you can choose to just use those backgrounds or you can use the background. And then I think you can have other stuff like guided ones going on at the same time. Uh, but I usually don't do that. But yeah, I really, really find that's valuable. And sometimes I have to admit, sometimes I get to the end of it and I think, Bruce, like, did you really actually meditate? Were you really actually that (laughs) relaxed? And then I'm going, well, you know what? The whole thing is just to have the attitude that, you know, you spent the time with it and you did did it. Don't judge it. You Mm, know, that's so true, Bruce. I mean, it it says it in A Course in Miracles, too. It says to do the lessons. Yeah. And not to think that you did them right or wrong. I'm paraphrasing, obviously. Yeah, yeah. But there's no, there's no like need to do it right because it kind of defeats yeah, the purpose. So that's does. that's great. I love that. 
Yeah. And so with anxiety, like if I'm particularly anxious, then I find that I just stop and I, I notice right away that the reason I realized I was anxious was because of my breathing. That usually mm. tells me. And then I'm just yep. like, okay. Then I go through some of these things, like you said, about the different body parts and kind of going through and like, am I relaxed in this area? How does this feel? You know, like how do my legs feel? How do my arms feel? And so on and so on. And so I find that that really helps me to go through that. And a lot of the tension with me is in my forehead or my neck Mm. a lot of times. And I just am able to usually relax quite a bit, but anxiety can come on for a lot of different reasons. And I don't know, like sometimes you know, I just find I'm anxious just because I've got something coming up that I know I have to prepare for. And maybe Mm -hmm. I'm not as prepared as I'd like to be. Mm -hmm. That's usually more where I get anxiety because I want to be totally prepared for whatever I'm doing. Nice. Well, it's funny too, that the anxiety as it shows up a lot of times has what ifs attached to it. Yeah. You know, there's a, if you call it following the trail of emotional content, a lot of times if we follow that trail, we'll find that, oh, I have this thing coming up. Oh, what if I'm not prepared? And then if you really follow that trail, you may find that at one point you felt embarrassed or you felt shame or you felt blamed or you felt guilty. And it's if we can follow the trail to its source, it's a lot easier to be present with what we feel than to try and brush it over or to coat it or to get around it or to avoid it. And in this case... I know for me too, I prepare like a big dog when I have interviews, like I'll read, if I have a guest on that has multiple books, sometimes I'll read two of their books. I'll do a ton of research, but that's for me, you know, I can interpret that as anxiety that I get anxious about it. But really in the, in the crux of it is that I just love having all of this, this wealth of information to draw from. And that helps me feel confident. Like that gives me a sense of, I know my stuff. So there's a lot of times too, anxiety is really an, an misinterpretation of the true motive, right? right? It's not understanding. It's thinking that we have a different reason for doing it than we really do. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Yeah, yeah it does. Do you do very many live events? Do you speak live to groups very much? No, not a whole ton, but, um, you know, mainly right now, just one-on-ones and interviews Mm -hmm. and a lot of, I lead a lot of teams, uh, meaning if there's a company or a group that is attempting to have a specific goal attained, usually sales goals or, you know, to meet a quota or to get some projects launched off the ground uh, and actually have a system for accountability to get that thing going. I'm the guy that comes in and uh, creates structure. Right. Right. Yeah. I do a lot of speaking and I really love it. But for some reason, once in a while, I'll do a procrastination thing. And even though like I know I've got this thing coming up and I just get busy with so many other things and I don't prepare in the way that I know I really need to. And then for the last week before the event, then I'm like, okay, now I've really got to cram, which Mm. I don't like to do as much. But the thing is, how about haters? You know, haters can really cause anxiety, don't you think so? Yes, they can. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. I haven't uh, had a lot, but it only yeah. takes one. <laughs> yeah, well, it's funny. I've um I used to get really, I guess you can say self-conscious of haters, and I'm yeah. not saying I'm not affected by them, yeah. but I'm definitely more in a place now where I can just look at it and be like, whatever. Yeah, me too. <laughs> me too. You know, it's just kind of like God bless you. 
uh, and uh, have fun with that. You it's kind of like <laughs> kind of like getting cut off on the road, you know, like it's like, OK, well, that happens. You know, maybe that person had a bad day, whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not going to let it ruin my day, you know. Right. Exactly. Like, it's just it's just going to disappear because I'm not going to hold on to it. But I do have to admit that uh, there, you know, I did have a couple of times when, whoa, I couldn't believe what people said to me. And then it really kind of shook me, kind of threw me off. And then, and then I just kind of, I think I became more aware of the fact that, you know, you just have to let it go. You just have to allow that stuff to come in and go out and be done with it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Because, and sometimes you can learn things from what people say, but usually I think people that really are cruel, they've just got stuff going on in their own life that causes that kind of anger or cruelty. Well, especially if it's misplaced too. Like a lot of times, you know, when I hear someone talk about a hater, I usually think of the unsolicited social media or the unsolicited email that we receive from someone saying, uh, you know, a judge of our character when all they have is heard one opinion that we've expressed on a podcast, on a show or on a blog or somewhere. And they, they run with it out of context. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, yeah. so it's, I mean, that's even one of the, for me, one of my telltale, telltale signs of anxiety is when I take something and completely blow it out of proportion. I know that I've either got way too much on my plate. It's time to get my butt outside and run around, get in the sunshine, get some fresh air and get things going in a different way. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. You know, I, I'm looking at a quote and it's by Seth Godin. And the, the quote is this, anxiety is nothing but repeatedly experiencing failure in advance. What a waste. Mm. And, and I thought that was a really interesting quote because, yeah, it is kind of like putting yourself in that place where you think the worst is going to happen and you just mm-hmm. keep keep going there over and over and over and over and you're not able to let it go. So, you know, if you can avoid doing that, you'll avoid a lot of anxiety, I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like negative goal setting. Yeah. Um, you know, it's like worrying, you know, there's so many ways to describe it. You know, one of the, and you talk about this a lot, Bruce, and you know, your show is pretty mm-hmm. much, you know, the the thesis of mindfulness, if you will. And I, I like to call it developing parallel because there's, if we can function in a way where we operate, right? There's a way that we operate in everyday life. Mm-hmm. And if we can find a way to witness how we are most of the time, and if we have the true desire to change, we can witness ourselves in parallel while we're doing things. And there's been so many times I've been like, I can't believe I'm doing that right now. As if I'm, you know, like overseeing myself. And then at night when, you know, right now I'm using my freedom journal and then creating new habits through that. I'll write in there. I'll have, you know, another tool I love is the five minute journal, you know, like writing in there and just really being about my own, for me, personal development is not just reading books. It's not just listening to shows. It's having that system of checks and balances to know when I'm doing something that's out of integrity for who I really choose to be. But it's hard to know if you're out of integrity if you don't know who you are, True, you know, or if you don't take the time to look at that. So yeah, that's interesting because I took my son to a play on the weekend and one of the things that they that they said in there is every day ask yourself this question, who am I? Mm. Now that's of course mentioned in different books, different people have said that, but it is really important to do it just like you said, you know, because you do have to know who you are. Mhm. 
and it and it doesn't come easy for a lot of us you know we have to journal we have to read we have to experience life we have to experience you know ups and downs and love and breakups and all sorts of challenges well it's funny too though bruce because i remember i did this exercise uh two or three years ago when i went through uh, marie forleo's b school oh yeah and in there she says you know you email x number of people that you know and i i I'm Italian. I have a huge family and I have a lot of acquaintances, a lot of friends. So I emailed I don't know, like 20 or 30 people and asked them a very personal question. I was like, if you had to describe me in three words, how would you describe me? And, and Bruce, the results were hilarious because they were more, they told me more about me in a very consistent way than my own mind could ever tell me. And it was things like integrity, man of honor, keeps his word always improving. And I was like, and everyone said very similar things. I was like, hmm, I'll keep that. <laughs> yeah, for sure. That's so it was, really it was cool. a very educational exercise. Yeah, that's really cool. That's really cool. I think so many people suffer from anxiety and it's just ongoing, like we've already said. And, and it's not like they're just anxious once in a while, but mm. it's ongoing. I didn't realize I was I wasn't really anxious so much, but I was journaling. And a, a few weeks ago, I started noticing when I looked back in my journal that I would say, well, I have this anger. And then mm. I said it the next day. And I'm like, oh, I didn't realize I had anger for like about five or six days in a row. I had this anger thing. But the good thing about it was that I was working through it. And so after the four or five days, it was gone it had pretty much disappeared i mean i guess we all have anger at times and it's just going to be there but anxiety i think is a lot like that it can kind of be there and you don't even realize it sometimes mm -hmm. like you've already said yeah it's it's kind of one of those under the surface things i'll give you another example i didn't realize i was talking to a friend last night and we were talking about teenagers and, and kids these days and somehow we were on the topic of drugs mm -hmm. and i made the comment i said you know Drugs, are, yes, are a challenge these days, but it seems like they were more of a challenge before devices. And I said something like, right now the drug of choice is media, like devices, digital devices is really the drug of choice. Yeah. And a funny experiment I did at one point is I noticed, I was very proud of my iPhone when I had it. And I had the first iPhone 3 and I lived in Santa Monica, California at the time. So I, I waited on the third street promenade in front of Apple for the first iPhone. And I was so proud that I had the first iPhone. But there was a number, about a year and a half to two years, where I literally could not stop using this thing. Mm -hmm. And I made the executive decision that I was going to get rid of my iPhone and get a flip phone. So for two years, I committed. I said, I'm going to switch to a flip phone. And I was, I was working as a private chef. And I was, I quote unquote, needed an iPhone that just came out that I only had for a year and a half or two years, but did I convinced myself I needed it. Yeah. I got rid of it. And for the first three or four weeks, Bruce, anxious is not the word because we start to build these neuro associations where if we get bored, we check our phone. Mm -hmm. No one emailed you in the past 10 minutes that you need to look at your phone for. No. You, know, you don't need to check Facebook and see what's going on. No. You don't need to do any of this. So I realized... Mm -hmm. Just by getting rid of a stimulus, yeah, I determined in those times, I was like, I am anxious and I have anxiety. And it's funny when you call it what it is, but one of the ways to realize that it's operating under the surface is who are you when nobody else is around, when the TV's off, when the computer's away, when everything's off, do you feel unsettled? 
I know for me, that was one of the biggest things that I, I said it earlier is that like, I didn't realize it was the weirdest thing ever. I had stopped kind of partying, if you will, and going out and having a, a very highly active social life. And I realized that I started to feel anxious as the sun would go down. And it was weird, but I didn't realize it until I got rid of the thing that was filling that space. Right. So well, it's you, interesting when you get rid of the thing on the surface, you find out what's underneath. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is interesting. So you don't have any of that anxiety anymore, do you, Jeff? Not that type, no. <laughs> <laughs> right now, my what my anxiety tends to look like is um, I love to do at this point in my life. I'm I've been fortunate enough to have some success with working with clients and also now with the podcast is starting to take off in a great way. So uh, I I tend to make lists that are far too big for me to accomplish in a day. Um, And one of the things that I do now is writing is the number one thing to mitigate anxiety for me right now. If I write things out, like if I do the brain dump of all the things I want to do and get that on paper, I see that there's no way humanly possible that I can accomplish all those things so it's kind of like the the lightning bolt of perspective of like, dude, what are you doing? And then I get to prioritize. So I've just, I have, if I were to put it on a percentage scale, I'd say that back in the day, my, my anxiety was at like 95%. Like if I went up five more percent, I'd be considered anxious a hundred percent of the time. And it was funny because I didn't even know it. But now I would say I'm, I'm at about five to 10% as my new normal, which wow. is yeah, it's like that much of a difference. That's a huge difference. I can totally relate to what you're saying, Jeff. For the first two weeks of my Freedom Journal, I, you know, I was just every day doing my thing, writing it in and doing my thing at night and writing. But then I I saw that there was this pattern. I was just never achieving everything. Mm. And I was and then I felt really, really well, I guess you could say I had anxiety, but I felt really stressed out because I thought like, this is crazy. I, I'm going to go through this thing and I'm not going to be achieving. This is no good. And so I had to kind of stop and realize that I was just, I was just putting too many things in there for each day. I had to back Mm -hmm. off and just have just small today. I'm going to do this small thing or do that small thing, because on top of all the other things that I'm doing, I couldn't possibly achieve everything I was trying to do. And I knew I had to make sure I did not beat myself up for it. But at the same time, Mm. I wanted to achieve something. So I had to kind of recalibrate everything. And then now it's going much better. Awesome, dude. It's so good. It's it's great, too, with a tool like the Freedom Journal, because it's specific, meaning I remember what my to-do list used to look like. It was like, oh, I'm going to put together this email sequence. Yeah. And then that would be on my to-do list for that day which really meant I had to hook up, say, Infusionsoft to the lead capture, put the first email in the sequence, trigger attack, like do all these little details, which yeah. really should have taken about three days. Yes. Um, but I decided at, before I got logical about it, oh, I could do that all in one day. Right. So when we get down to planning things out, taking that little bit of extra time to really make a map, even if it's just a guideline that changes, things are so much easier and I think what really happens is that I know for me, I was almost afraid to put it on paper. Like I didn't want to write it down because I didn't want to do it wrong. Or I was afraid that like, oh, what if I want to change it? Well, guess what? Change it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if you want to change it, change it. So I think, I think we kind of, we, we tend to put ourselves in boxes. Yeah, for sure. And then really what we get to do is, you know, stretch and kind of hit the walls off that box. Yeah, Totally. 
Yeah. So, so tell us about your new book that you just wrote. You just wrote a book about anxiety and you probably, you probably have a lot to share in there. I'm sure about this topic. Yeah, this is, this is version one and this is a a mini ebook and it is called how to, it's overcoming anxiety, a beginner's guide, even if you don't think you have it, because as we mentioned, a lot of us are operating on low levels of anxiety most of the time. And I know for me, it was something that I, I stumbled upon. But when I realized all of the habits I had built around it, what I was allowed to do then is I started to notice when I would get in, like with the iPhone, mm-hmm. right? Yes. I noticed that I got sucked into that habit. And then at one point when my meditation was more consistent, I had the awareness to say, whoa, 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 buddy, pull the reins back on this one. So in the guide, in the ebook, what we do is we walk through, you know, you hear some of my story how I came upon some of the techniques I talk about. But then we go through some meditation, some mindfulness techniques, and then what I call developing parallel. And also we get into defining problems in solvable terms because I find that one of the most detrimental things to our spirit is that we're constantly running around talking about stuff And we can't do anything about it. For instance, how many times have you heard somebody say, I just don't have enough time? (laughs) Tons of, tons of times I've heard that. It's, it's not solvable. Mm -hmm. Like there's nothing we can do with, I don't have enough time. It's not a real problem. So one of the things that I do with my coaching clients, the people I work with is like, okay, if you don't have enough time, like what would you do if you did have enough time? And then they're like, huh. Most of the time, Bruce, they can't even answer the question. Right. So what we do then is we start to define the problem in solvable terms. Well, like, okay, one technique is to ask a new question. Instead of saying, well, I don't have enough time, what would I do if I had enough time? That's number one. Another way to do it is to do the brain dump. Because usually if we say, I don't have enough time, there's things that we think we don't have enough time to do. So then we say, I don't have time for this. I don't have time for that. Well, if I did this and then we write all this stuff out and it's this huge, just like brain dump of getting everything out on paper. And then from there, there's a few exercises to put into place to begin to take action on those, on those things. Because one of the easiest ways to get out of anxiety is to get into action. Cause a lot of anxiety is in the think stage because when we're in, you know, it's uh, Marie Forleo says it beautifully. She says, clarity comes from engagement, not thought. Yes. You know, if we're thinking about things, thinking about things, you, you know, you know this in business too. It's like if you're thinking about a concept, it doesn't matter what we think about it. Let's launch that thing and see if it really helps people. If it doesn't, back to the drawing board. And it's not that that thing was wrong or bad or didn't work. It's just that something else may be better said or better done in a different way than the original method. Yeah, that's that's really, really total solid gold nuggets that you're sharing here, Jeff. This is absolutely awesome. Get, get into action. And, you know, that's... That's what Tony Robbins says too. You know, he's always encouraging you to move, change your body, you know, get up there and get into action because absolutely, you know, we, we sit around and we feel more and more anxious and we just have to get physical, get moving for sure. Yeah. And it's funny though too, Bruce, because as I say that there's, there's always a caveat, right? Yeah. It's like a lot of times as the pendulum swings, as we go from inaction to action, if we're not aware as we're in action, we start to get into the cycle of 
always acting and it can become compulsion can become a form of anxiety. Like doing things just to do them can also be so a lot of the times when we're taking action for a while, just like the yin and yang of mm-hmm. things is that as we're moving and moving and moving and moving, stillness becomes all that more important. So being able to oscillate and cultivate action and inaction, being in action and not being in action becomes ever more important as we begin to do more. It's that as important or more important to be able to look back on our actions and reflect and say, is this working? Yeah, good point. Good point. Yeah, you have to have one to have the other for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Big time. Yeah. Well, it's been great talking about anxiety, Jeff, because it's really helpful stuff. And I'm sure, Mindful Tribe, you're really going to benefit from all these ideas that Jeff has shared with us. And and where can they grab that book, Jeff? Uh, you can just go to jeffa.co and you'll see a link right there on the homepage. Super. Super. And if you want to go back to Jeff's episode 49, I think you'll really, really enjoy that episode. We really got into some some cool stuff. It was a great conversation then too, Jeff. So anyway, thanks for joining me today and you have a great weekend. Awesome. You're welcome, Bruce. Thanks for having me. Okay. Take care. Bye now. Thank you so much for joining us today on Mindfulness Mode. For insightful blog articles and show notes for every episode, check out mindfulnessmode.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you could help us out by clicking on the iTunes link on our website and leave a rating and review. Till next time, Mindful Tribe, use what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.